We're going to change up the kind of order of service a little bit from what you're used to. Uh, toward the end of our service this morning, we're going to have communion. I know ordinarily you guys do it more toward the beginning of the service, but I thought that communion would be a nice thing to do toward the end of the message that I have for you this morning. So um, if you have Bibles or if you want to just follow on the screen, we're going to be in Luke chapter 24 this morning. And uh, this story will be familiar to some of you and maybe others. This might be the first time that you hear this, this story, but we're going we're gonna to dig into it a little bit and have a few, few observations about um, uh, the road to Emmaus. So Luke 24, starting in verse 13, it says, Now on that same day... Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were walking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? And they stood still, looking sad. And then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, you are, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place here in these days? And he asked them, what things? And they replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified. But he had hoped, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find the body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he was going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. 
and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That, that same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. And they were saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had made known to them and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful always for your word. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would just speak deeply to our minds, to our hearts, minister your grace and your peace and your healing and the hope that we have in you. Spread it deep and wide into our innermost being this morning, Lord, as we uh, take a look at these things. Lord, we invite you. Uh, be present with us in the way that you were with those that walked along the road. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So this story of Luke's um, that happened on the road to Emmaus is one of seven of the post-resurrection stories in the Gospels. And like all of those stories, um, it's a little bit ghostly. The stranger whom the disciples do not recognize at first, who turns out to be the Messiah, who vanishes from their sight as soon as they know who he is. The crucifixion stories aren't like this at all. They are 100% solid. Jesus is nailed to the cross with a name plaque tacked above his head where he dies in front of hundreds of eyewitnesses. No case of mistaken identity there. No sudden appearance and disappearance. His death was just as real as a, as a heart attack. But his resurrection stories, on the other hand, are largely kind of rumor. Somebody said that somebody said that his tomb was empty. But that could mean anything. All kinds of speculations. Maybe his body was stolen. Maybe he revived and walked away. Well, it was the women who first started telling the story, and you know how unreliable they all are. Even those who saw him in the flesh had a hard time convincing anybody else it was true. I mean, Thomas just didn't buy the story at all until he had seen Jesus for himself. And these seven resurrection stories that are kind of scattered through the four Gospels do not really go very far. Jesus didn't appear to everybody before he ascended into heaven, which left plenty of people to kind of weigh the evidence for themselves, to listen to the testimony of those who were there, 
and then decide if and what they would believe. And that, in a nutshell, is the situation of the post-Easter church. This was the situation faced by Luke's church. These Gospels were written decades after these events, and they were written largely to provide sort of background and the story for churches that had grown up. So Luke's church was in that. So were the churches of the other gospel writers. It was the situation that Paul was trying to address in his letters to all the churches in Asia Minor. And it is our situation today. None of us was there for the real death or the rumored resurrection. All of us have to decide, have to make a decision about, about the truth of, of what, we, what we've heard. Every one of us has had to listen to whatever evidence or testimony or scripture is available to us and then make up our mind, decide what we're going to believe or even if we're going to believe. But if it's all true, then we have more than hearsay to help us make up our minds. If the Lord is risen indeed, then we may base our decision on our own personal encounters with the living God. The question is, what is his address? Where might we find him? For Luke, um, the answer to that question is somewhere on the road between here and Emmaus. Luke is the only gospel writer who tells us the story of what happened on that road. This story we just read is found nowhere else in Scripture. Luke is the only one who tells this story. But every one of us has walked that road at one time or another. It's the road you walk when your team has lost, or your candidate has been defeated, or a loved one has died. It's the long road back to the empty house, the piles of unopened mail, to a life as usual, if life can ever be usual again. It's the road of deep disappointment. And walking it is sort of the living definition of grief and sadness, just like the two disciples in today's story. I mean, imagine, after all the events of that weekend in Jerusalem, and you're walking the two hours that it takes to walk those seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And the kind of roller coaster emotions on the back end of the terrible events that have happened since Friday. The trial, the arrest, the crucifixion, the silent procession to the tomb 
putting his body away, and then the women's vision of the angels, and then the empty grave, real death, and rumored resurrection. So these two disciples are walking together on the road, and they're talking over all the things that have been taking have taken place when this stranger just kind of comes up behind them and asks what they're talking about. So that they stop, they stop walking, they stop in their tracks, and they turn and look at him. And you can imagine, it's like, who, who is this guy? Did he just crawl out from under a rock? I mean, is he Rip Van Winkle? Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know what happened there this weekend? Cleopas asks him, but the truth is that they are both glad for a kind of break in the, the mood, I think. Maybe just a little company to take their mind off of the events. Somebody to walk with them. And so he does, matches them stride for stride as they begin to tell him everything that they know that's taken place. They tell him how, how things had looked so promising at first. This Jesus had impressed everyone with his teaching and his eloquence, his wisdom, his mighty acts of power. And then how things had gone terribly wrong. So there was finally nothing left for them to do but to go back home with their hands deep in their pockets and dragging their feet slowly as they walked down the dusty road. The scripture says, it says, we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped. Hope in the past tense. You know, that's one of the saddest sounds that a human being can make. I had hoped. You can hear the discouragement, the hopelessness, the despair. We had hoped. We had hoped that he was the one. We believed things might really change. But we were wrong. He died. It's over now. No more fairy tales. No more illusions. Back to business as usual. And that's when their walking partner explodes. Oh, how foolish you are. How slow of heart. He sells to them. Or in other words, you idiots. I mean, if you had just read your Bibles, none of you would have, this, none of this would have been a surprise to you. It's right there in black and white. The Christ is not the one who wins the power struggle. He's the one who loses it. The Christ is not the undefeated champion. 
He's the suffering servant, the broken one, who comes into his glory with all of his wounds still visible. Those hurt places are the proof that he is who he says he is. Because the way you recognize the Christ and his followers is not by their muscles, but by their scars. Which means that they are not to despise the painful parts of their lives anymore. Which means that they are not to interpret their defeats as failures anymore. Which means that they are not to fear their enemies anymore, not even death itself. Contrary to all good common sense, they are to follow their leader into the scariest, most dangerous places in the world, armed with nothing but a first aid kit. Because they, like him, are not fighters, but physicians, wounded healers, whose credentials are their own hurt places. And so starting with Moses and working all the way through the scriptures, the stranger opens the scriptures to them, and they hang on every word. He's a gifted preacher, but it's more than that. They are wounded, and what he is telling them is really good news. News that's almost too good to be true. Maybe they aren't losers after all. Maybe the rumors are true. Maybe there's a reason to resurrect their crucified hopes. So when they arrive at the village and he shakes their hands and he says goodbye, they won't let him go. They haven't gotten enough of him yet. And so they invite him to stay with them. And he does. He's an odd guest, though. It's their house. It's their food. It's their table. But when the three of them sit down together, it's he, the guest, who acts as host, who reaches out, takes the bread, says the blessing, breaks the bread, and gives it to them. And maybe it's the oddness of the act that makes the scales fall from their eyes. Or maybe it's the familiarity of it, something they have seen him do before on a green hillside with five loaves and two fish in an empty upper, in an upper room with unleavened bread and Passover wine. He takes, he blesses, he breaks, he gives. And through the torn, fragrant edges of the broken bread, 
He holds out to them. They look at him, and with sudden realization, they recognize him. They know who he is. Just that split second before he vanishes from their sight. You know, not too long ago, I heard two children talking about this story. And one of them said to the other, how do you know when you're blind? And the other one said, well, you don't. You only know afterward when you can see. The blindness of these two disciples does not keep their Christ from coming to them. I love that about the Lord. Their blindness doesn't keep Christ from coming to them. He doesn't limit his post-resurrection appearances to those with full confidence in him. He comes to the disappointed. He comes to those who are doubtful, who are hopeless, who are disconsolate. He comes to those who don't know their Bibles, who do not recognize him. I love this about him. There are no preconditions, people. You don't have to meet some sort of minimum standard before Jesus will reveal himself to you. He will come to you wherever you are. He comes to those who have given up who are heading back home, which makes this whole story a story about the blessedness of brokenness. Maybe that's, that is only good news for uh, if, if you happen to be broken. If you're not broken, then I guess it would be better news to hear of a story about how those who believe in God may kind of just skip over the broken part and go straight to the wholeness part. That doesn't seem to be the case. Jesus seems to prefer working with broken people, with broken dreams, in a broken world. If someone hands him a loaf, he will take it, bless it, break it, give it, and he will do the same thing with his own flesh and blood, because that is the way of life that God the Father has shown the Son to show the rest of us. This is the way of life that he has demonstrated to us. Whether we like it or not, we need to thank him for it. Whether it is the sweet, satisfying bread of success that we experience, or the tear-stained bread, the soaked bread of sorrow, to say thank you, to break it, because that is the only way that bread can be shared to hand it around, not eat it all by ourselves, but to find someone to eat it with, 
so that the broken loaf may bring all of us broken ones together into one body where we may recognize the risen Lord in our midst. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and we're going to kind of get ready for communion. So come on up, guys. While they're coming, I would ask you all to kind of get up and go get the elements of communion. I guess, uh, um, let me think here. You come up the center aisle and go out that way. Is that how it goes? Center aisle, pick up the elements, and then go back to your seats. And I guess you're going to pick up um, one cup with the wine and one cup with the bread. Take them to your seats. Come now. As you're coming, let me just um, let me just say, hello? I'll just talk loud. As you're coming, um, it may be that uh, some of you are holding back because maybe you don't feel worthy to come to the table. Let me just tell you that, that this table is for sinners. That's what it represents. There are some of you who may feel like, oh, gee, I just, I don't know. If you love the Lord, if you're a friend of Jesus, if you're looking to him to do some healing in your life, whatever it is, then you're welcome at the table. So, um, from beginning to end, Luke's little story here about what happened on the road to Emmaus is a perfect little address book for the living God. First, there is the closeness of the two disciples on the road. Then their, their kindness to the stranger. Then there is the way their hearts burned within them as he opened the scriptures to them. And then how they knew him in the breaking of the bread. There are four things to see here. Fellowship. Hospitality. Word. And sacrament. All the ways that Christ has promised to be present with us which also happens to be the everyday activities of the church. Church is not the building. It's not the institution. Church is the people of God, us, who attend to one another, who welcome strangers, who study the Word of God, and who regularly participate in the sacraments. This is the way of life of the church. Now these things happen in other places, but the breaking of bread at Holy Communion can 
sometimes break you wide open. Sometimes you can be right in the middle of it and suddenly the tears start rolling down. It's like the gates to your heart have opened and everything that you have ever loved comes tumbling out to be missed or praised or grieved or loved some more. It's like being known all the way down to the very core of your being. It's like being in the presence of God. One moment you see him, and the next moment you don't. One moment your eyes are open, and you recognize the risen Christ, and the next he vanishes from your sight. One moment you see him, and then he's gone. If you've come with any kind of brokenness here this morning, let the Lord in communion attend to that. Here, in the presence of one another, the Lord is with us. He's not a ghost, and you don't have to be afraid. And you will never lose him for good. This is the place that Jesus promised to be. This is the place he returns to meet us again and again. So as we receive these elements this morning, recognizing what they represent, the broken body and shed blood given for us, Let's pray, risen Lord, we know, we, be known to us in the breaking of the bread this morning. Go ahead, take those elements now. So as we close our service this morning, let me just tell you that communion is sometimes called the Eucharist. That word is, it comes from the Greek word meaning Thanksgiving. And I thought on the Sunday before Thanksgiving, we should receive the Eucharist this morning with open hearts and Thanksgiving. It's a great way to start this week. As Christians, in the reenactment of the Lord's Supper, we have nothing for which to be more thankful than the risen Lord who has called us out of darkness into light, who heals our brokenness, who gives us assurance of eternal life in his presence at the end of our lives. And there are lots of us who are getting are closer to that end than, uh, than we used to be. Lots to look forward to. If you came in discouraged this morning, may God lift your hearts up today. Father, we are so grateful. We are so thankful that with all of the disappointment and the discouragement and the brokenness that this world offers, in the midst of it all, you are our wounded healer. Come, may we find you in this place. Risen Lord, be known to us this morning. 
in the breaking of the bread. Have a great Thanksgiving, everybody. God bless you.